it's time to get cozy and watch a Christmas movie. Cuddle up with a cutie and watch a Christmas movie. It's a podcast in a queer tree. I, I really love <laughs> I really love our uh, our intro music. Mm-hmm. It also makes me sad because I never cuddle up with a cutie to watch this. <laughs> You're always just stoned alone at 11.30 p.m. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone in your house goes to bed early. Yeah, they have to. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm like Quasimodo just lurking around <laughs> in the background, getting everything set up for tomorrow. Watching Hallmark movies Watching in the background. Watching Hallmark movies with a single tear going down my cheek. Oh. Have I said too much? Oh, no, no. Um, I sometimes cuddle up with a cutie, but most, and most of the time, those cuties are the cats. I do have those cuties at home to cuddle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cuties come in all forms. Yeah. So welcome back to Podcasting a Queer Tree. I'm Nicole. Thank you. Oh, you mean them. (laughs) Welcome back to you too, Scott. I haven't seen you for days. (laughs) I know. It feels like forever. Um, so this is the podcast where we watch made-for-Netflix, made-for-Hallmark TV Christmas movies and talk about what we love, what we hate. Are they queer enough? No, is pretty much always the yeah, answer. Much, no. um, but yes, we do talk about that. Um, today, we are talking about the film Holiday Rush, which I believe is a new release this year, is it not? I think so, yeah. Fantastic. I've seen a few pop up on Netflix just recently mm-hmm. that I think we already kind of had our eye on, but uh, that, that was one of them. So Holiday Rush is from 2019. After his sudden firing, a popular radio DJ moves in with his aunt, bringing along his four spoiled children and a plan to return to the airwaves. That is certainly what happened in the movie. That's what happened in the movie. Um, I didn't. I watched this, in fact, with a cutie. I watched this with Emily, and neither of us got a bingo. No, I didn't either. Did you get a bingo? Yeah. I got bad blue screen. I don't remember what my bad blue screen was. Um, Starting a new business, of course. Yes. Must return to hometown, which I counted. I did too. Because he returns to the house he grew up in, or the house he raised his kids in. Yeah. Uh, A tight 90. Passes the Bechdel. It was not a tight 90. What? It's not quite a tight 90. It's over 90. Oh, shit. How much over Doesn't 90, matter. though? Not much, I don't think. Like, maybe five minutes. Okay. I would say I count anything. It's a loose 90. Yeah, it's a loose 90. <laughs> exactly. A loose 90. Yeah. Passes the Bechdel test. I don't remember what. Maybe Aunt Joe and Roxy. Definitely one of the conversations with Aunt, the Aunt, yeah. Aunt Joe and Roxy, yeah. yeah. Uh, struggling business. Blatant product placement. What was the blatant product it might have been Apple products. Oh, yes. I might have also written down in my notes later on what exactly I was referring to okay. when I talk about blatant product placement. And um, a newer element that hasn't... It was, it's been on the bingo cards for a few movies, but it hasn't come up for me until this one called the Duvernay test. Right. Which I'm going to now explain. Was Duvernay test on yours? It wasn't, no. Unfortunately. So the DuVernay test um, was is created after Ava DuVernay, who's a filmmaker. She made Selma, I learned, um, and was developed by Manola Dargis. And 
it's not there like unlike the Bechdel test where there's like sort of three criteria you have to fulfill more than one woman they talk to each other about something other than a man right the Duvernay test I, at least I couldn't find anything sort of that um like step by step but the quote I found from the article where it talks about it is black or racialized characters have fully realized lives rather than advancing white storylines right so it's like they're, so they're not like most of them in Hallmark movies in other exactly words. Yeah. yeah they're not like pawns yeah. they're they not like, supportive best friends who are just there to say your blog is off the hook exactly whatever, <laughs> whatever it was they said yeah, yeah. they like have a storyline it influences it like moves the story forward we know something about them they, they have, have their own autonomous lives exactly. as if they're real three dimensional people they have depth you Imagine know that. they're a character they're a fully realized character um, so this movie did pass it as it's a predominantly black cast. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was the first time it had come up. Emily's bingo card had, um, we're just friends. Mine too. Yeah. yeah. Love that. A widower. Mm-hmm. Um, horses. Were there yep. horses in yeah, this that, movie? Uh, the, oh, the, the, the miniature the horses. <laughs> the twins were obsessed with getting miniature horses. <laughs> yep. I love that how that's what signals that they're spoiled. Yeah, being obsessed as though there aren't like horse kids yeah. in all classes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about your bingo card? Um, I think the only thing that we haven't mentioned already is helps kid with project. Okay, yep. Um, and MILF slash DILF. Because mm. um, Rush. Because of, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not my type, but I'm sure somebody out there is, well, Shaniqua Martin-Green is into Rush. Is that Roxy? Roxy. Amazing. She's the star of Star Trek Discovery, and she was on The Walking Dead for a while, in case oh. you weren't aware of her Amazing. pop culture credentials. She's actually the biggest star in that movie. I wasn't, yeah. Okay, great. Roxy. Yeah, she's great. Oh my god. What a smoke show. Yeah. Whew. Um, okay, so the, the movie opens, I believe it opens, or at least a very early scene in the movie is sort of the, like, home routine that Rush goes through, and, like, his twin daughters are texting him, right. like, early, early <laughs> yeah, in the morning, right. being like, I want to- like, we want a pony. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's six in the morning. <laughs> go back go, to bed. Go to sleep. <laughs> and then, um, Aunt Jo comes over, who is his aunt, and- talks about and I feel like this is this is very much a trope especially of a man who has lost his wife mm-hmm. um which is a widower right mm-hmm. widow is a woman who lost her husband correct what if it's a queer couple don't know Ooh, whatever you want I suppose I guess so anyway um where so it's this common trope that I've found in the in Christmas movies where when a man has lost his wife there's always an older woman relative matriarch figure who like rather than the dad figuring it out on his own there's like a family member that steps in and like takes on the domestic duties so aunt joe is like i packed all your lunches for you when you were a kid and she's like packing the lunches for his four kids yeah. which is like sweet yep. but it's also like sort of on you know it's not picked apart no. In... Unexamined. Unexamined, thank you. Yes, exactly. Yes, a lot of things in this movie are unexamined. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so it was at this point in the movie, because he's like a radio, he's not a shock jock, but he's like no. a very famous DJ. He's whatever city's top drive time DJ. I made a note. Yes. So it's in New York. It was filmed. It in is New- in New York. It's filmed in New York. Takes place in New York. Yeah. By the way, there's no way he's New York's top drive time DJ. <laughs> also, did radio DJs make that much money? Ah, well, let's see. <laughs> I happen to know a bit about the radio business, so I made some notes along these lines. Okay, tell me. I mean, if you were the top drive-time DJ in New York, you would be rich. You'd have... That rich? Hard to say. But you'd be doing okay by DJ standards, certainly. Sure. In that first scene where we meet um, Shaniqua Martin-Green, Roxy... And she's talking about how she wants to take him to the top. Yeah. Like, well, isn't he already at the top? But they want more. Like, she's very ambitious. Yeah. Um, And one thing that was very realistic about the radio business was someone buying their station and firing them immediately. Mm. I was like, oh, now we get to the relatable stuff. Yikes. Um, But the rest of it, I mean, them buying an old radio station... And somehow getting it licensed to broadcast in a week? Yes. <laughs> it's ludicrous. <laughs> sure. Absolutely sure, sure. ludicrous. <laughs> uh, not to mention, like, the financing. Selling his home in less than a week? Like, come on. Yeah. So stuff like that, I was like, oh. right. but anyway. But so, like, I feel like he's obviously a millionaire. But, like, is it realistic that a top radio DJ in New York would be that much of a millionaire? I'm not sure he'd even be a millionaire, but you'd be making six figures, I think. So he'd be, you know, pretty comfortable. Um, I feel like six figures living in New York. Well, are they in New York? Because a lot of people who work in New York are not in New York. Like, they don't live in New York City proper. Um, I mean, I feel like... New York State is expensive. Yeah. Like, all around. It just seems like... I mean, people commute from upstate. Like, I I don't know. I I didn't really... I I got this... Part of the the argument of the movie, I think, and and this is a fairly common argument, I find, in um, movies that are aimed at the African-American market, is we moved out to the suburbs and got soft. Mm. And now we're going to move back to our old neighborhood where, you know, we can respect ourselves again. Right. Right. That's uh, a very common theme in like Tyler Perry movies. And okay, sure. All that kind of stuff. I just In think... fact, this reminded me of a Tyler Perry movie in a lot of ways, just because of the beats that it hits. Oh, okay. And those kind of reflections of, I assume, fairly common African-American anxiety about where they are in the culture and, Mm. you know, do they deserve to have this success and and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, You're mainly questioning how do they afford this lifestyle? Well, he's just so rich. Like, so rich. Like, I think that house... They're pretty comfortable. The expectation... I don't think they're comfortable. I think they're rich. Yeah. Like, the expectations that his kids have, it seems like... But by New York standards, I don't think they are that rich. I think they're, like, doing okay. I don't know. Yeah. But also, if, if it makes you feel better, somebody in that position, like his position, his job, 
he'd have his radio station time. Mm. And then if he's that popular, he's also probably doing announcing or voiceover or commercial recording work around the city. And you speaking stuff like you'd, you'd pick right. up a lot more. You become like a personality. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Um, my main, I mean, I always look up the location of where these movies are shot, but my main, uh, intention for looking up the location for this is that he wakes up at 5 a.m. and it is like noon sun. Bright light. Bright outside. And I'm like, oh, this must take in Calif- take place in California. Christmas in New York <laughs> is like... <laughs> it's like it is right now. It's extremely dark yeah, it's- at... In the morning. Anyway, um, so then we go to the station, and he's only allowed to play songs from the approved Christmas hits list. And he's like, Yep, 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 no problem, no problem. And then he plays this amazing Run DMC Christmas song Christmas and Hollis from Die Hard. I have never heard it before. Oh, really? I've never seen Die Hard. What? (laughs) (laughs) How does that, how do you? You've never been on a plane. <laughs> you've never had. You've never been around a television at Best Buy. You've, 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 Honestly, I don't. You've think never I've, been in somebody's home where they have the superstation. I don't think I've ever been inside a Best Buy. Wow. <laughs> I think by the time. I don't know if I envy you. <laughs> I kind of do. I don't know. Anyway, this song is amazing. I'm it's very, right. I'm yes. very pleased it was brought into my life. Yeah. Um, I'm pleased that it's it's old enough now that they could afford to throw it into. That yeah, <laughs> it's like in public that probably, domain. That probably, well, no, it's not public domain. You that cost them probably a good amount of money. Probably more than some people in the cast cost. Them. I mean, good for them. It was worth it. Yeah, absolutely. It was it's worth a, it. It's a banger. So Roxy and Rush, they want to be station owners. They want to buy into the station. And oh, it, that's right. Her big plan is that they're going to invest in the station they're already working at. Yeah. And they're, the manager of the station, whose name is Marshall, Ugh. in the movie. Yeah. Um, I recognize that actor from some other stuff, and he often does, does, does that kind of um, broad character comedy mm. where he's kind of shifty, but also kind you of can't a, really get mad at him. Like He's like a sketchy buffoon. Yeah, uh, but he's also in charge of the station, and he seems perfectly happy to, you know, eject his friends to... Yeah, it's brutal. So yeah. then they find out in the same breath that CamCon, whatever that stands for, I don't already forget. Comcast, probably. It's, it, it's like one of the American cable companies buying up but it's called camcon well they can't actually say (laughs) all right uh so they buy it's a big corporation they buy the station they fire everybody everybody that's what they do do you have any notes from uh um just that there's remember how i mentioned earlier the tyler perry movies and Mm -hmm. the kind of tropes that you'll find in those there's one in there which um, you'll find the the tone of the humor sometimes is very broad and characters are almost cartoonish sometimes. Mm. And the lady who was doing the firing mm-hmm. was just like Cruella DeVille level. <laughs> Joss, I believe her name was. Is that her name? Joss? That's yeah. what I wrote down. Oh yeah, I have it here. Joss, the lady who fires them, seems cartoonishly evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 
take it down a notch, Joss. You're just releasing some people from a radio station contract. Yeah, but it's right before Christmas. It's dark. (laughs) Why are they doing that? Like, they think they're going to restaff the radio station right before Christmas? It's weird. Yeah, without White Lady. I guess. In, In Russia's convertible. Yeah. He's rattled by that. Um, so later after that, we go back to Russia's house. There are some quotes in this movie that made me laugh out loud. And the first one that I wrote down is uh, Rush after Jamal. So he has four kids, Maya, or Jamal is the oldest. Yep. And then Maya. He's going to Harvard. He's going to Harvard. And then the twins, Gabby and Evie. Mm-hmm. And so Jamal finds out that he's gotten, been accepted to Harvard it's very exciting. Rush is like excited, but also like, uh, um, yeah. how the hell am I going to afford this? Exactly. And then this quote, why did I have smart kids? Dumb kids are way cheaper. <laughs> made me laugh out loud. It was funny. Um, yes. I don't know. Did you write down that I lost track of the scenes after this? Did you write that down? Um, at this point I was basically writing to myself, this doesn't feel like a rom-com yet. Mm. It feels more like a family drama, yeah. but with weird notes like Joss. So I, I, I was a little disoriented, right. I think, because I, I didn't real, I, I wasn't really sure. Like, are are he and um, Roxy. Roxy gonna get together, or are they just friends, like mm-hmm. for real, or like is there some other female character coming in that I haven't met yet? That's anyway. Yeah. Um, my next note is just about how Roxy comes over with her plan to buy the old station. Right. And Irv is like, well, how are we going to do that? And his aunt is like, I've got 45 grand in a coffee can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? I love that. Aunt Joe. Aunt Joe is the hero of this movie, obviously. Yeah, it's just one of those weird things. I'm like, she seems very on the ball. Why the fuck isn't she putting this in a bank or investing it somehow? Well, I think she went to a bank at some point because if you recall, when Rush opens the coffee can, all the bills are like crisp, un, um, unruffled. It's like a perfect stack a of, of brand new bills. Yeah. And I'm like, Aunt Jo went to the bank and got those bills specifically to put in the coffee can. Yeah. Just to flex on Irv. Good for her. Yeah. Irv? Isn't that his name? Rush. Irv? Why do I have Irv? I don't know. The movie's called Holiday Rush. Holiday Rush, because his name is Rush. <laughs> That's weird. Maybe the actor's name is Irv. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Irv, whoever you are. Rush. <laughs> By the way, when they reveal that they're broke, the kids are so shitty. Yeah. Every one of them is so shitty. I can kind of understand... The oldest son being like, well, what does this mean for Harvard? Yeah. Because he's probably busted his ass to get in there. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the middle daughter who is obsessed with Instagram and stuff. Maya. Yeah. I just want my one Instagram moment for my- Christmas morning. Then like, I'm also like. Chekhov's Instagram moment. Because they, as soon as they mentioned that, I was like, that'll come back. For what? Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting, um, this, it's, like, the the family dynamic of, like, Rush grew up in, like, the first house that he and his 
late wife owned, which yes. Aunt Joe now lives in, which they moved back into. Yeah. Later we see home videos. So, but we see that Jamal was like a kid. Like he was like three or four. And his late wife, whose name I didn't write down, I don't think, hmm. was pregnant with Maya. So it's like, for all intents and purposes, all of these kids grew up in wealth. Yeah. Right? And I think, like, my takeaway was that Rush got really famous and really popular at some point. His wife died at some point. I think they say four years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, like, mostly what these kids have known is wealth. Like, growing up in wealth, right? Even though Rush didn't grow up in wealth. At least the type of wealth that he has now. No. Um, so yeah, it is it is unfortunate how bratty they are. I mean, obviously it happens because it like forwards the movie and it's interesting and dramatic and all these things. But I was a little bit like, I was like pushing for at least one of them to be a little bit more empathetic. Well, they get there eventually, and that's yeah. again that's again part of the the trope set of this kind of movie is um when you're moving from the privileged place to back to the authentic place mm -hmm, back to their roots yeah, yeah the kids don't have any of that right so totally. they're they're gonna learn it for the first time and by the end of the movie of course they're all they're all on the same page yeah I guess. so um, i think we meet the ghost wife next yes can i make one more point about oh, yeah. radio stations <laughs> Sure. Since we, we've, we've been through the scene where Roxy makes her pitch about, I think we should buy the station. Buying a radio station is a terrible fucking idea. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why? It would be like starting a restaurant. Why is that a terrible idea? Financially speaking. Oh, it's a, like it's, it's a risk. It's a big risk. Right. Yeah, it's something that tends to have a lot of, there's just so many factors that could conspire against you to make that business fail. Right. Um... And they've never, I assume, run a radio station before. They're up against huge media companies. Mm -hmm. um, but it's being used as a device to... She sells it to him in the end on the promise of playing whatever they want mm -hmm. and rebuilding community connections. Yeah. So again, it's serving that theme. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I, I just wanted to mention buying a radio station is a really stupid idea. Just in, in case, case. I, in case anyone out there is thinking of it. <laughs> in case anyone's inspired. Or, or starting a restaurant or both. For God's sake. <laughs> You're just pissing your money away. I think, I think your gloom and doom warning is a little exaggerated. If anything, no, if anything, I am underselling <laughs> how stupid an idea it is. All right. Disagree. All right. Disagree. I'm not investing in your radio station. <laughs> I'm tell you right now. Or your restaurant. No offense. I like you, but yeah, I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> That's fine. So. My God, what kind of restaurant? Never mind. Um, I assume it would be, it would have like berries. <laughs> <laughs> I give off the vibe of someone who would open yeah, a, you grow them a berry based restaurant. That's true. I do grow berries. Yeah. A berry base that might work. <laughs> It'll work as as well as anything. I'll run my business plan by you first. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> um, okay, so we meet Ghostwife. Yeah. And Ghostwife tells a weird scene that was. So strange. Ghostwife tells him to move on. 
quote, she's a good woman. Referring to sure. Roxy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, I feel like the movie wanted it to Has be... Has he not been with a woman since his wife died? I think we... that's... Is that what we're supposed to think? I think that's the implication. But, like, I... I, like, similar to you, didn't immediately clock Roxy and Rush no. as an obvious couple. No, I have a note here saying, I don't know how I feel about their chemistry. Because um, I, I actually didn't like Rush very much mm. as, a, as a person in the early... I mean, that's kind of by design, I think. Right. He's, he's supposed to... Grow on you? Become, well, he's, he's, become, he's supposed to become his more authentic self the more he gets towards the goal, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe the implication from the script earlier on is that he's, he's gotten soft, he's lost touch with the old neighborhood a little bit, he's gotten used to having all this money, and just one of the kids... Uh, I think it's the oldest son talks about how they would just kind of throw money at their problems and mm-hmm. just kind of sleepwalking through stuff a little bit, maybe after their mom died. Right. Um, I just, I didn't, I didn't actually clock until this, the ghost wife scene that like, cause ghost wife is like, she's a good woman, just do it. Like, I don't think she, Roxy's name is actually used. Like, I think it's supposed to be a moment for the audience that's like, finally. But I was legitimately like- This dead woman sees it, why don't I? I was legitimately like, what is she talking? Like, who is she talking about? Yeah. And then, oh, Because the movie movie is not as obvious as Hallmark movies tend to be about, like, who you're supposed to be rooting for as a couple. Yeah. In fact, it- is pretty hands off with that and then suddenly you know suddenly they're into it it was very chill but um my my note about the ghost was oh wow he's talking to the ghost all caps of his dead wife oh no no do not want um my last note on the ghost wife scene is so he's sitting on the porch of his old house which is aunt joe's current house right and all of a sudden, the light, the porch lights come on, and Aunt Jo, she has a security camera, and she, there's like an intercom, and she says, I've got a bat and a bad attitude. And Rush is like, Aunt Jo, you can't keep threatening people. That was funny. So good. Aunt Jo's great. Yeah. And then my next note after that is, it's the scene switch back to Joss's office with Marshall, and Joss is like, they, they've just realized that... That the radio station, like, exists. There's a billboard for it. They're like, what the fuck are we going to do? And what they're going to do is use their big corporation muscles to threaten advertisers. Yeah. To not support this, like, burgeoning grassroots radio station. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. The, the I, I do remember in when we were, before we had to, to take the break there, I complained, I think, fairly extensively about how stupid radio works in this movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's just another example of it. Yeah. I feel like your rant about that made me think about this question that I often ask people, which is like, what is the thing for you that when you see done poorly in a movie or mm. a TV show you like a notice and B really gets to you. Like for example, if you're a lawyer and you are watching like a 
courtroom drama you'd like really get your blood boiling about how like that would never happen that's not a real legal thing meow 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 you know so for me it's like uh in tv shows or movies when there are like professional chefs who don't know how to hold a fucking knife yes i'm not a professional chef but i know how to hold a goddamn knife and chop with some competence without chopping my fingers off and no one in a movie who's playing a chef seems to know how to do that so i do i do often look for knife skills especially in these hallmark movies where so many characters are like chefs or aspiring chefs <laughs> but i feel like one of yours uh based on our conversation about this movie is how radio stations work <laughs> yeah i mean it doesn't come up as much as being a chef but no but it's really shining in this episode yes it, it yeah shining i don't know if i'd use the word shining for this <laughs> Um, I forget which character it is. I think it's Janella um, who says all these phrases in this movie that are like really like quippy sidekick phrases that are Mm. Christmas themed. So for example, at one point um, sometime around this like advertising shakedown, she says, that's going to get their chestnuts roasting. Right. Oh, I was just so charmed. I was really so charmed by Janella. I think she was an amazing character in this movie. But her like quippy Christmas one-liners really cracked me up. They were so funny. Yeah, I, I have a note about how the other stations threatened their advertisers. And I was like, radio stations threatening advertisers? With what? They're not think- going to take their money? Yeah, don't, don't radio stations need advertisers? Like, I don't know that the advertisers need radio stations. They do not. And they have, they have made that pretty clear. I guess maybe the idea is that because CamCon is such a big corporation, they have, like, influence in areas outside of just radio. Like, maybe they've yeah. got, like, a TV branch or, you know, whatever, the internet. Yeah, I, I think since they're basically meant to be... Uh, uh, inspired by Comcast in the U.S., it is a very big, very powerful company. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're threatening them somehow, but it it just seemed strange. But like threatening them with just radio holdout is like a little <laughs> less believable. Yeah. <laughs> um, my next note is that every girl or woman in this movie is extremely capable and intelligent. Yeah. Like every single one. There isn't an incompetent girl-woman character in this movie. Um, and every male character in this movie is a ding-dong. Or is Jamal and is very young and immature and, you know, a child. Yeah, but, yeah I think I touched on that a little bit in the previous recording session, uh, just in terms of the cultural difference between these movies that are aimed like mostly at southern white people yeah. versus a movie like this aimed i'm guessing mostly at northern uh black people yeah. and and how it has a lot of the tyler perry tropes so it's always strong women when right. it's black women right yeah um whereas when it's white women they're always like kind of insecure they're worried about their career path and yeah um, not that there can't be a lot of the same concerns, obviously, but just the the broad strokes for sure tend to go in that way, right? 
well, and these movies are all about broad strokes. They um, certainly are. <laughs> and I mean, I love a matriarch, don't get me wrong. Obviously, obviously I'm all about um, Aunt Jo and mm. Roxy and Janella and basically every woman in this movie, even Maya, the like school aged daughter is like, she's like smart, she's organized, she's like down to business. She's like, let's get this done. Family's in crisis. I need an Instagram worthy moment. Let's do this. Yeah. And it's kind of sad because culturally that's what they have to be, right? They've got to be on top of it. Um, they, they can't just be a manic pixie dream girl idiot, like uh, yeah. Zoe Deschanel character or something, right? It's- yeah, totally. There's like, yeah, that's a good point. There's like a huge, like, privileged demarcation of like cute gentle white girls get to like flutter off and be some like white uptight white man's fantasy and it'd be amazing if they actually fluttered oh god i mean they might as well you know yeah um so then the next (laughs) i wish i could remember the exact series of events in this scene but i don't but all i have is a quote Oh my god from Janella he wants to jingle my bells do I want that and then Marshall says what does your spirit tell you (laughs) (laughs) so funny (laughs) that's a tough question this is so good and then I feel like I feel like that's where Janella maybe quits Mm. Is that when she crosses over to the um, the radio station with Roxy and Rush? Or does that happen oh, earlier? Could be. My my notes get pretty spotty at this point. Yeah. Because uh, I, I checked out of this movie, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, I have a, a note here. I think this comes around the same time um, where they're they're watching a like kind of home movies of the dead mom. Yep. And everyone's of course sitting around sad. Yep. Um, there's a restaurant scene where Roxy shows up, and the, she and uh, Rush just basically throw down right in the restaurant. Yeah. And my yeah, note is like, get a room, you guys. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. They just needed some public sexual tension to really spark that flame. I guess so. And Rush um, is wearing like a turtleneck and chain. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's not an actual turtleneck, but it's this holiday outfit. Yeah. It's very uh, sharp. Um, I believe that I've already mentioned this, but maybe I haven't officially, but this scene in the restaurant uh, has inspired me to insist an addition to our bingo cards, which is wine that is clearly fruit juice. Mm. I think they're drinking red wine in this movie, which is clearly cranberry juice. Whereas I think the last movie we watched where I noticed this, it was white wine that was clearly apple juice. Yes. But it's like, it is not. It's clearly fruit juice. Fair um, enough. 
And so I think things, things, this, you know, things have already started to go downhill because the advertisers have been threatened. The radio station, the, you know, the Roxy and Russia's radio station is like, you know, they can't really do anything without these advertisers. Um, and then there's a real timing thing here because they basically get together finally at the restaurant. And then every, my next note basically is that everything else just goes to shit. Like yeah. the house sale, the owner, and that fucks the financing of the radio station, which yep. they were somehow going to get up and running in like a week. Yep. Um, and then Jamal runs away. Yes. Jamal um, is like so upset. Jamal is kind of the last holdout of the kids at this point because the rest of them, they've had these little, I don't know if it was a montage or not, but they've all had a little scene where it's demonstrating how they're reconnecting with their roots and their community, which of course is the end goal of, yeah. of all this. Well, but and I think also accepting Roxy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, as, as you know, the, the new, not even new woman in Russia's life, but like taking a, a more romantic role. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have a note here that there's this reconciliation scene with Jamal and that it's a real slog to get through. Oh yeah, between Rush and Jamal. Yeah. Oh, see, I thought this scene was very sweet. They like have this heart to heart and they like talk about their feelings. Um, I do remember that it did go on for a while, but I thought it was very touching. I'm sure it was. I'm just a terrible person. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it feels like kind of kicking a, a puppy or something to to say that there's no surprises in these movies. Mm. <laughs> but um, I mean, there never is really. So why would there be? Well, I was, I'm going to, that's a perfect segue. Thank you so much. I'm going to tell You're you welcome. about a moment that I was surprised in, oh, in this movie. Oh, do tell. Movie. I would love to hear of a surprising moment in this movie. <laughs> which is also a Nicole's Trivia Corner moment, which oh, is perfect. that Aunt Jo, I don't know if you clocked this, but I had to look it up. So there's a scene where they're at a Christmas pageant or a Christmas festival, or they're inside somewhere. It's a dance. <laughs> Maybe there's a meal. I don't really remember. And Aunt Jo is on stage singing Baby Please Come Home by Darlene Love. Are you familiar with that song? I am. Is she Darlene Love? Is that Aunt Jo is fucking Darlene Love! Nice. I was, I, was, I was like mouth agape. I mean, I didn't recognize her, no. like her aesthetics or her face because I wasn't around when Darlene Love was like in the spotlight because um, it was like in the 70s or whatever. And... So she's not like a face that's like embedded in my brain to recognize visually, but I was like, oh, this is an amazing song. And I was like, oh, it's so interesting. I wonder like how they got the rights to this song. It's like a big deal. <laughs> well, they got the rights because fucking Darlene Love is Aunt Jo in this movie. And that was just the best. Yeah, that's great. It's so I think good. I did suspect something like that at the time, but I didn't make a note of it. I was very um. pleased. Yeah, that, was very, uh, that was a highlight of the movie for me. It made me love Aunt Jo even more. I love seeing stuff like that. Oh, so good. Um, <laughs> My next note is about, there's a character in this movie whose name is Marshall. Yes. And, he, and he's the guy who's like their frenemy who runs the big <laughs> successful station. Yeah. Does he also fire them like they worked for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they're also friends. Yes. Yeah. I guess. And yeah. he has this 
kind of seen, I think he's just on his own, like looking out of his office window, realizing how lonely he is and how he's a sellout and, you know, mm -hmm. he's all this stuff. And yeah, yeah he's just uh, screwing over his friends at Christmas. Basically. But that's where he has, that's his change of heart moment because it is, yeah. Shortly after that, I believe he shows up, I think on Christmas morning. Um, yep. Just like to, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yep. To Roxy <laughs> and Rush's, well, to Aunt Joe's house where basically everyone lives now. Yeah. And is like, I have decided to fund your station. I believe in you. I'm so sorry. Mea culpa, mea culpa. Yeah. Um, and Roxy, meanwhile, while Jamal has been missing, Roxy and Maya, with the help of Reginald, Aunt Joe's neighbor, who's sweet on her, everyone gets paired off, um, have decorated the house with beautiful lights. It looks very Christmassy, even though Aunt Joe is staunchly like, all I need is baby Jesus and, you know, these like three other decorations. She's like a modest Christmas decorator. Um, but with the help of Reginald, they like zazz the house up and it's like beautiful and festive. Um, and for the kids. The kids the have kids. all come around by this point, even Jamal. Even Jamal, yeah. Because I think, well, yeah, the, the financial details are still being worked out. But basically on Christmas Day, my, my last note is that they somehow managed to sell the house on Christmas Day. And the bank has cleared their accounts again yes. on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. It's a, you know, they stay open on Christmas Day for Christmas miracles, God. Yeah. They're only open, <laughs> the only transactions they're open for on Christmas Day are Christmas miracles. Yeah, the Chase Bank of Miracles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I have a note that Rush calls uh, the twins, uh, Gabby and Evie, his twofer which yes. I thought was a very endearing way to describe twins. <laughs> it's like very cute. I was really into that. Um, uh, this was then, also the scene where they've all got matching PJs or onesies. Yes. So they all have matching PJs. And what do they do with those matching PJs, Scott? They basically propose to Shaniqua <laughs> Martin-Green. <laughs> which uh, I, I certainly can't blame them for that. She is uh, a stunning woman. She is, she is a fox. Um, yeah. Yes, there's a family proposal in their matching PJs. Yeah. And yeah, they is, look like a cult. It's, it's a bit intense. It's a bit intense. Yeah. Family matching PJs are, are a, a lot. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not opposed. I do think that they're quite sweet, but it's, it is a lot. Um, great. Do you, <sighs> where, I think like we've already talked about this. And I, I don't know, like, how could this movie have been more gay, Scott? Where do you think, where do you think there was time? I think that Roxy. Yeah, been... she's the best candidate. Um, she, I like to think that she has had a girlfriend in the past. Oh, I think and, she's definitely and, had a girlfriend. Yeah, and is pansexual but why she is settling for rush is what i'll never understand just that they're old friends i guess and she's really comfortable with him yeah and you know she's she's ready for like a really boring long-term relationship after i mean after a lot of excitement she, yeah totally if she's like pansexual and has dated 
a lot of women or like not men in her earlier life she's like I guess it's time for me to get together with this boring straight man and that's my life now yeah I'm his producer I see him all the time yep and uh I've got Stockholm syndrome basically so I love him You know, we have to assume that she knows what she's doing because she's so smart and capable. So I, I give Rush credit for that. um, But I am a little confused about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's like a lot of these movies where they wind up together and you kind of try to assess their chemistry and you're like, really? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. There wasn't a like love conflict in this movie in the most traditional sense in the way that like the conflict was really between his like remorse and feelings about his late wife and Roxy. I probably would have taken that a little more seriously if they hadn't had the scene with him talking to his late wife. Yeah. Do you (laughs) think there's a way they could have done that? That makes that that whole thing a little weird. (laughs) It was a bit, it was a bit weird. Do you think that there's ever been a scene in a movie or a TV show where someone speaks to someone from beyond the grave and it's done well? Have you seen that? Yes. And I mentioned it in our previous recording. I I talked about MacGruber. (laughs) Gruber. I didn't retain this. What's MacGruber? MacGruber is a, a parody of MacGyver. Oh, yes, right. And, and he, he not only talks to his dead wife, he has sex with her in, on top right. of a gravestone. Oh, fuck. So yes, that, that I, was pretty sweet. I think that's, yes, ordinarily, that's the reason I didn't retain that information. <laughs> yes. Ordinarily, uh, I wouldn't say those scenes work all that well. Yeah, for sure. You know, I liked Holiday Rush. I probably won't watch it again this year, but it made me chuckle a few times and Darlene Love is in it and that definitely is a point in its favor Roxy and Maya and Janella are very charming and funny and strong um, can you hear my cat getting yes. her food from the food puzzle enjoy that everyone <laughs> I've cat sat for you before I know exactly what puzzle you're talking about yeah um you know there's strong female characters there's women helping women moments, even if yes. they're a little heavy-handed. I'm all into that hol- stuff is all that stuff is good. I'm into Holiday Rush. Yeah. Uh, I am not. Um, I think we've basically just divided along gender lines here because I agree the women characters are all great. Yeah. Uh, and the male characters are really not great. Jamal is fine, I guess. But yeah. He has potential. He's still Marshall a- and Rush are both just a couple of knuckleheads. Yeah, knuckleheads. They're for sure knuckleheads. Yeah. Okay, well, that was that was Holiday Rush. Yeah, we, we packed it all up like an empty U-Haul box at <laughs> WQPL, WBQL. <laughs> wow, really nice callback. Really nice tie in there. Thank so. you. I, I was actually pretty fascinated by all those empty boxes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the empty coffee cup of this movie. Oh my God. Um, Great. Well, um, thanks for joining us, everyone. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow with another, another feather in our cap of the 2020 holiday season. Thanks, everybody.
You know what I wish they had done was bring the dead mother in also in matching pajamas. <laughs> and she's there in the last scene to show she approves of Shaniqua Martin Green. She's got like an exclamation point or something on the back of her. You've been listening to season one, episode eight of a podcast in a queer tree by Nicole Marcoux and Scott Marshall. Visit a podcast in a queer tree.com for this episode's links plus our social media and a link to our Patreon. Don't forget to play bingo along with us when you're watching holiday movies. You can find the cards at hallmarkmoviebingo.com. Our theme music is by the couple whose photo came in the frame you just bought from the Dollarama. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow. But whatever you do, we love you. Happy holidays. <laughs>